0: amen um we're in jo- uh joshua four all right i'll try to uh, i've just got a couple of slides you may not care at all i love maps especially when we're doing history um they are camped here in Shittim and they're about to go across the river and they're going to stop at Gilgal before they go to Jericho. So there's the, the gray is the Jordan Valley. It's about 12 miles. Whoops. It's about 12 miles from Shittim to Gilgal. So, that's how wide the Jordan Valley is. Uh, there's just a picture of... There's a Sea of Galilee where uh, Jesus' ministry is. So you see where we are in relation north and south to the whole uh, area of Israel, all of Israel on this side. Jerusalem will be southwest of Jericho, 10 miles. So... That's where they are, and then all I want, I don't know if you can tell, uh, the red, I mean the black star here, see, I don't know, the black star is where they're starting, and that's at the base of the mountains that came up from the south, Moses preached his last right here in Moab, uh, uh, the plains of Moab. And then Moses dies and goes up on the mountain. Joshua takes over. And they are at Shittim right here in the plains, down in the valley. They're going to cross the valley, and Jericho is here. But the second uh, city they go to, Ai, is right there. Jericho is the lowest city in the world, eight hundred and fifty. Feet below sea level, below sea level, Uh, right up by Ai is a mountain that is three thousand feet high. So they have to climb up from Jericho. They climb down into Shittim, and then they cross the Jordan River, and then they climb up into uh, to get to Ai from Jericho. I don't know if you care. That's the geography. Uh, yes the the river will flood if I go back to here, the river will flood a mile wide in the worst of it, and it 's full of jungle it 's full of brush it 's full of stuff and and thirty miles upstream, which will be a little bit farther than what 's on this map is where uh, the city is where the river stops. Uh, so it's, you've got the 12 miles of the Jordan River Valley, but it spreads out about a mile. This will go anywhere from 14 to 3 miles. As you go up toward the Sea of Galilee, it's only 3 miles wide in the River Valley. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else. Uh, but we're still, we haven't left yet. We're still in Shittim, uh, about to go. All right. Joshua chapter four. Any questions? Anything you want to ask? Anything you want to. I don't think. Oh, I did have. Oh, that will be for next, for when we get to chapter six in Jericho. All right. We're in chapter four. Um, Israel has been commanded to cross the Jordan. Uh, Joshua has given them instructions. And then in chapter four, Uh, let's read a little bit and then we'll stop and talk. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. When all the nation had finished passing over this, oh, we've already, let me see. Did we cross the Jordan last week? Okay, we bear, yeah, we did get there. The Jordan split. Okay. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. So the priests are still in the water. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And that's in Gilgal. They're going to lodge in Gilgal. I'm at uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Sorry. Verse 4. When Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. So we're still going into the Jordan. And take up each of you a stone from his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up the twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel— Just as the Lord told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they were there, and they are there to this day, for the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. So the point, the, the focus here is the 12 stones. Uh, the 12 stones meant to remind Israel or help Israel remember what happened in the to the second and third generation for their children and their grandchildren. So, They maintain; they might maintain the awe and the uh, reverence for God who had delivered them once again. God has delivered them once again. Joshua will uh, will preach that to them here at the end of chapter four. But one of the enemies one of the enemies of faith is forgetting, forgetfulness. Uh, And he is focusing, whoever's writing Joshua, maybe Joshua and maybe not Joshua, at least not at the end because Joshua will die. But he he is emphasizing this idea, do not forget. The people forgot, remember, they forgot the exodus. Uh, Very quickly they forgot because they were pining for the food of, of Egypt. As soon as they got out there, they began to murmur against Moses and against God. Uh, stick your finger here, go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, which will be just a few pages back from where you are. This is Moses preaching again just before his, or toward the end of his life, just before his death. In Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's read verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses here. Um, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as, man, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, palm a land of olive trees and honeys, a land which you will eat bread, in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Then verse seventeen. Read the last four verses. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Moses uh, reminded them uh, of what God had told them and to go God's way. Uh, And here these stones are to remind them so that they don't forget the real threat, again, is this forgetting what God has done. Um, some of you, uh, I, I, I have an illustration here in marriage. You know, one of the real threats of marriage is we begin to take each other for granted. Uh, forgetting why, in the first place, we started our relationship sometimes. Uh, and, and Joshua is saying, you have to remember what God has done. Because we're going to go in, and he has promised this land, but we have to remember, and these stones are going to be uh, an aid for you. Verse 7, is it verse 7? Then you shall tell them, verse 6, this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you will tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So they're going to be an opportunity to teach the children. Uh, You know, you can imagine, I don't know, when uh, uh, they go across to Gilgal, and the stones are there, set up, 12 stones. Uh, maybe it's the Jordan Valley National Park. You hike through it, and your children say, Hey, Dad, what's those rocks over there? You can tell them what it is, What remind them, teach them what God had, do, had done. And so when God does this, when he marks the spot, it's a special uh, a unique and a special event, he has these markers for them so that they do not forget. He doesn't always or usually work in these kinds of ways, does he? I mean, this is a spectacular time as the Jordan River parts so they can come across. If he was to do this regularly, if this was the way God worked regularly, parting rivers and Uh, doing miraculous things for us day by day, we wouldn't need monuments. We wouldn't need uh, these reminders. Uh, uh, But he doesn't dazzle us into faithfulness. That's not God's way. Um, If he did, or if we were attracted by those, we'd need tomorrow another one, and the next day another one. And we would have to continue to be dazzled. That's just the way we are. But by the faithful witness and the teaching of his particular acts, marked in his word, uh, he reveals how he cares for us. And that uh, carries over to us. For these folks, it carries over to us. If it takes a miracle to attract us, it will take a miracle to keep us. And unfortunately, the church in many ways has bought into some of those ideas. What's our 12 rock monument in the New Covenant? What what does the 12 rocks do? What's the purpose? To 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 remind them of what God did. What's our 12 rock monument in the New Covenant, in the New Covenant church? Huh? Yeah, the Lord's Supper. Uh Uh-huh. Right? I mean, the Lord's Supper is our reminder. What's the book? All right, do we have that now? The rocks are to remind them that they parted the Jordan. What does the Lord's Supper remind us of? the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so we, lest we forget, uh, Craig Craig Swain's uh, mantra to us is, every time we do the Lord's Supper, we need to sing, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. Now we don't, don't, I don't think we ought to use pictures of the cross to remind us. Now, again, I'm not saying it's wrong to wear a cross, to have it on your walls and things like that. But it does symbolize our redemption. But the reminder is the Lord's Supper. To remember the Christ. Lead me to Calvary to remember what Christ has done. All right, And so that's what we do in the Lord's Supper. Somebody had their hand up. Wear a stone, right? We're We're what? Stone. A, a stone? stone. rolled away. Mm. The tomb is empty. Okay, there you go. Whatever it takes to remind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Bruce, he- he's our rock. he's our rock. He is our rock. There you go. That. Uh, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we don't want the cross to become a good luck charm, right? A talisman, a whatever, whatever you want. But but it is symbolic of our redemption, and I, I, there's nothing wrong with it. But the Lord's Supper is our monument, our rem, our, our point of remembering uh, regularly. Um, I don't know if any of you have experienced this. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard a couple of people talk about it a long time, so uh, it's not very often. But as the tray is passed, any of your children ever say, how come I can't have a drink or a snack? Okay, probably not. That's not good. But that's, that's when the kids are, see these rocks in Joshua's day. What's that about? When the plates are passed, maybe you're, it's an opportunity to teach your children, uh, to explain to them what the Lord's Supper does or what, why we do it and why everybody can't do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, we don't begin to regard the cross as a good luck charm or a piece of decor. It is a piece of decor. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, but just we don't want to idolize our cross because it is empty. We idolize, we uh, uh, love our, our Lord Jesus, our shepherd, exalted to the right hand of the Father, having lived his perfect life and died the death that redeems all who will believe. Okay, verse 18 of chapter 4. Um, when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the souls of the priests were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Um. Uh, so there's evidence of God's hand, isn't it? How did how did anybody ever read anything about how God did this? <laughs> he just did it. What's that? Yeah, I re- yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of ideas, huh? Yeah, in 1206, in 1907, there were earthquakes, and the banks of the Jordan collapsed, and it didn't flow for a while until they fixed them. Maybe that happened, huh? We're not told. You know, we're so funny, I was thinking about it today, I'm studying for the... Uh, Transfiguration, we'll look at the Transfiguration Sunday. We want to know so many things that God doesn't tell us. And uh, he doesn't tell us how he does it. But here's what, we can know it was God. As soon as they got out of the water, the river was back at flood stage. That's obvious that God did that. Uh, And God did it to stop it. We're not told how he did it, but it doesn't really matter, does it? The timing of the waters coming back is, just tells us uh, that it is God at work. Verse 19 the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Do you remember the significance of that? The 10th day of the first month. Exodus chapter 12. Passover. Hmm? That's, that's the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of of months. So this is their new year. This month. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. So... The uh, exodus uh, begins on this day, their redemption, the 10th day of the first month, and now their redemption is going to be completed on the 10th day of the first month, 40 years uh, later. Uh, Israel is no longer a slave. Israel is now an heir, and they're about to go in and take their inheritance And so Joshua says, verse 20, and those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children and their fathers in times to come, ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So, now they're at Gilgal. I don't know if we... Four and five, three and four, kind of are combined uh, in the story of crossing over. But the stones are the emphasis of chapter four, as as God's reminder that He has delivered them. Anything before we go to chapter five? I do believe the scriptures tell us how the uh, Jordan was parted because it was by faith. Okay. right okay yep they had to obey their faith exercise their faith okay chapter 5 verse 1 starts a new section uh and and here's here's how we here, here's a characteristic of a, a number of sections that will come up look at 5 verse 1 as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over their hearts melted there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The kings heard what God had done. Um, Let's see. Let's go to uh, chapter 8. Is it? um, No, 9. Chapter 9. I'm sorry. Here's this next section. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the low land all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. There's a new section. All these kings heard of what God was doing. Then chapter 10, verse 1, as soon as... Adon- Adonai Zedek king of Jerusalem heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to d- destruction so there's a new section right there the king of Jerusalem and then in chapter 11 when Jabin the king of Hazor heard of this he was sent to Jo he sent to Jobab the king of Madon. so you have this the, the pagans, the nations, the Canaanites, all of the kings hearing about God's work, and then the story uh, plays out. So in chapter 5, as soon as all the Amorites, the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, that's essentially the first area they come to as they go up the mountain to Ai, and then they begin, con- the Amorites, and then more toward the Mediterranean Sea as they head west, According to chapter 5, verse 1, the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Um, Let's keep reading for a little bit. At that time, the, the Lord said to Joshua... Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haaraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was the children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal today. Um, So he circumcises the whole generation. Uh, 4 and 5 says, Why? because they hadn't circumcised anybody for 40 years. Um, No real explanation about why they didn't circumcise during the wilderness. Verse 6 may give us a clue. The people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out, perished. Why did they perish? Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Unbelief. They weren't believing God. They lost their f- faith, if you will. Uh, so that's all we, doesn't really tell us why, but the old Israel must perish. The old Israel who is not going to get to go into the promised land uh, uh, must die before they can go in. Now they have all died except for Joshua and Caleb who were faithful. Um, numbers 14 34 and 35 uh, you can turn there I'll, I'll i'll just read it for you according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land remember how many spies went in when they were first uh, when they after the exodus 12 okay how uh, and what was their report Ten negative, two were good, and who were the two? Okay. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. So the original Exodus generation is doomed. They doomed themselves to wander 40 years and to perish. Um, some, Yes? would designate the ones that were cursed, the ones that were determined to die. They were circumcised. They were circumcised. But anyone that wasn't circumcised wasn't part of that group. Yes. Yes. Uh, that, that would... Yeah, um, uh, some say God prohibited circumcision in the wilderness. I don't believe that. Um, uh, it seems Genesis seventeen fourteen, uh, and that will take us back to when Corey was preaching about Abraham. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You see, God didn't say don't circumcise anybody. Their unbelief is why they didn't circumcise anybody. And so they had broken the covenant by not circumcising, and so God judged them. Yes, um, Jan- who had their hand up? Dan. yeah because of their unbelief they just uh they broke the covenant they weren 't god's they, they were god 's people, but they weren't god 's people um, they un, were under god 's care God providentially watched over them and yet they uh showed no signs that they belonged to him. they lived in unbelief throughout their wanderings um So the kings of the Amorites and the Canaanites have no fight in them. Their hearts melted. Did we hear that before? The people of Jericho, their hearts are melted too. Uh, And uh, they're not afraid necessarily of Israel's army, but they're afraid of the God who is fighting for Israel's army, the Lord who dries up the water. They're afraid of Israel's God. Uh, I I don't know what you thought about. If you cringed, I kind of cringed a little bit there at verse 2. Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Now, I don't... (laughs) Now, here's what I would say. I don't think he means anybody got circumcised a second time. I think this is the second time of circumcision when this generation, this entire generation, uh, is is renewing, by the way, renewing the covenant. They're becoming God's covenant people again uh, by renewing the covenant. Uh, the first generation, when uh, Warner said it, the first generation came out of Egypt circumcised. Now, this second generation uh, uh, doesn't bear the sign of the covenant and so the exodus generation had been circumcised. They bore the sign of the covenant, but they didn't listen to the voice of God. It revealed that they were not believers. Uh, t- numbers, again, 14. We're, I'm back to Numbers 14. Truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land I swore to give to the Father. So they did not obey God, so they were finished off. At the beginning of verse 6 For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until the nation, all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished. They perished. They're died off. They're gone. Uh, these who were circumcised and yet did not obey the voice of God. While their children, even though uncircumcised, were raised up. Verse 7. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. Um, so there's a warning here that the circumcised They were circumcised, sign of being God's people, and yet they didn't listen to the voice of God. They had the marks of the people of God, but they didn't respond to the word of God. Um, So, uh, unfortunately, as I read all my commentaries, they're all Presbyterians. (laughs) You know that will affect this idea of circumcision, right? Well, here's uh, what one... You can receive all the sacraments. We can change that. You can receive both ordinances and not be a believer, right? That's the warning here. These folks had the signs of the covenant being God's people, but they had no personal relationship to the God of the covenant. Um, Paul warns the Corinthians about that. In 1 Corinthians 10, you might want to turn there and look at five verses or six verses in 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink for they for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless with most of them God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness so you can bear all the marks all the signs of being a believer of being a Christian baptized into the church make a profession of faith and not be a Christian not be part of God's people you they could experience the exodus, they ate the manna, they drank the water from the rock when the, the God miraculously turned sweet, uh, and they remained in unbelief. And so you can be, people can be walking around as part of the flock of God in churches and have no relationship to the shepherd who is Christ, our chief shepherd. Um, so, the, in verse 6, I want to we start in the middle. No, we don't want to start in the middle. Verse 6 again. The people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And now, Lord, uh, uh, God is going to swear two oaths. <laughs> Here the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. And so is God um, going back on his promise? Read that again. There's, He's swearing. What's that? A delay. delay? Okay. Okay. But he's swearing that one generation can't go in when he had sworn to the fathers they would have a land. So both promises are fulfilled, right? The, the promise to this generation does not negate the promise to the fathers of old. They're still going to inherit the land. It's just an unbelief. A whole generation refused to, be, to follow God's covenant and to, be, to believe him in God and his word. So uh, does the new oath negate the old oath? Nope. God's promise of the land still holds, but one generation forfeited its share in the promise because of unbelief. Um, The promise will still be fulfilled, but unbelievers won't enjoy the fulfillment. Um, Here's what Dale Ralph Davis says. We can say that unbelief might delay the fulfillment of God's promises, of God's promise in this particular instance though I don't like to put it that way. Why would, let me read it again, one may say that unbelief might delay the fulfillment of God's promise, though I don't like to put it that way. Why would he not like to put it that way? Why might he? I mean, he, he didn't tell us why. Again, we want to know so many things that we don't. What would be, what's that? Okay, it clashes with the sovereignty of God. How do you mean? Our can affect Okay, can our decisions delay God's purpose? Well, God ordains whatever comes to pass, of course. But what I think what Dale Ralph Davis is saying, look, we... Uh, are responsible for our choices, but we are not going to affect God's eternal counsels and purposes. That's that's his point, I think. Anybody else have anything, Corey? You anything? Uh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Again, um, yeah. Well, we'll we'll have some of this Sunday morning too. Not this but some of these things that we don't know, that we think we know or like to know. Uh, God does fulfill his promises in spite of our unbelief. Um, Our unbelief may forfeit benefits uh, of the covenant promise, but it can't negate the promise. And so this generation lost the benefit because of their unbelief. But God's promises will be fulfilled. So God swore... (laughs) He's a promise-keeping God, and then eight, uh, verse eight. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Uh, they were uh, the literal. This is a, a uh, they're brought to life. They're healed. Um, Recovering and reviving for them from their wounds, yet also uh, they're God's renewed people now in a new land about to overtake the land that God had given them. Uh, And verse 9, the result of that was, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. See, there's a, 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 a final dealing with all of the enslavement and the abuse and the uh, the reproach of Egypt. I've laid, what does he say? I've let, rolled away the reproach of Israel from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day, uh, rolling it away. Um, we have... Verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan. So there is a continuity, a continuing of the provision of God for his people. In the wilderness, it was an exceptional time, an exceptional need. God miraculously, daily provided food for them in the manna. No no more. Now the food is going to come not from heaven, but from the ground. And they are going to, uh, day by day, see the provision of God in the mundane things of their journeys. Yes, they're going to see God work in the battles. But no more miraculous provision. The provision is going to come through natural ways of raising grain and and raising the animals and taking and, and feeding themselves. So there's the, the, uh, God is, um, well, let me illustrate with a story. Anybody know the name Witherspoon, John Witherspoon, one of the signers of the constitution of the declaration of independence. Uh, he was also president of Princeton. Uh, it was a college. What was it? College of New Jersey, right, Bruce? Uh, and, and he drove a horse and buggy to work in uh, Princeton. Uh, he drove a, a, every day for, I think, two years. One day, a guy came into his office all excited. He said, I was driving my horse and buggy, and uh, uh, the horse broke away. Uh, the, the horse ran away. Uh, the, the wagon got crashed, The buggy got crushed, and God spared me. He said, I didn't get a scratch, and we need to be thankful to God. I want you to be thankful to God and uh, praise his name. And Witherspoon says, I got a better miracle than that. I rode my horse and buggy to work every day for two years, and my horse never ran away. The buggy never got hurt, and I was safe every day. God works in the little things, day by day. He works in the big things, but so often we miss the day by day. Hey, you made it here tonight. A couple of you probably got three drops of rain on you tonight. I mean, the everyday provision of God, he's going to provide for these people now, day by day by day. Instead of as often in miraculous ways, Uh, be thankful to God that you're right here today, (laughs) right here. Think of all the providences. If you get, I feel like I I say the same thing in birthday cards, you know, because I write uh, 250 birthday cards to adults, and I, 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 but you only get one, right? (laughs) Think about what it has taken in your life to get you to this day, what God has had to do to keep you and bring you to this day. The providences are amazing, and most of them you don't even know about. Father, we do thank you for your providence, for your kind hand upon us, the invisible hand that we so often don't see. Help us not to forget your promises to care for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.